I'm Tor, and I'm here to share secrets. Today, I'm sharing secrets with Ed Moncada, one of the co-founders of Blockfolio, and now with FTX. FTX recently acquired Blockfolio for $150 million, which is one of the largest acquisitions ever in the blockchain space. Uh, Ed was working on Blockfolio for a very long time, since 2013, 2014, and they saw incredible growth with over 6 million downloads. So I'm going to ask Ed what secrets he learned building Blockfolio, when and how he knew that they had just a killer product on their hands, and what he's excited to build now with FTX. We'll also talk a little bit about DeFi versus centralized exchanges, where he thinks it's all going. It's an amazing conversation. Ed is a super bright guy. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with him. We'll also talk about his cats. Uh, we don't talk about mine, but here she is. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ed Moncada. Ed, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share secrets with me. I'm super excited for this episode. Yeah, man. Happy to be on here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Awesome. It's a really exciting time overall for the cryptocurrency space, but it's definitely an exciting time for you. Uh, recently, there was some news out of Blockfolio. Uh, do you want to just at least lay out for viewers who might not be familiar uh, what's going on between Blockfolio and FTX? Yeah, FTX uh, acquired uh, Blockfolio. Um, it was a little over a week ago. Uh, we, we finally announced it. It's something that's been brewing for a little while. It's been really exciting, and it's uh, it's nice to finally have the news out there. Yes, and that's why I love talking about this stuff, because it's a secret, and now it's in the open, and now you get to talk about it, the community gets to get excited about it. So I do have some questions about what's it going to look like going forward for you, for Blockfolio, for FTX, but I wanted to kind of start uh, with what it took to kind of get to this point, because obviously you must have learned a lot of secrets building Blockfolio. And I'm actually really curious, like when you were starting to build out Blockfolio, I mean, you you didn't necessarily know what you were getting into, but like I've heard some crazy statistics about Blockfolio. Like you guys at one point had over 6 million downloads, right? Yeah, we're over 6 million downloads. On a monthly basis, if you look at by impressions, we're doing well north of 200 million impressions a month within the app. That's unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, like our our users love to open the app, open up the app, and and uh, they refresh quite a bit. Um, but but yeah, I mean like it's uh, but we had like really modest start, <laughs> you know. We we just built it for like me and three friends built this thing for ourselves. Yeah, let's go let's go back to the beginning, man. So you you were building, and I think so many successful product stories start out this way. You were building for yourself. So when you were just starting out with Blockfolio, when was this? Why did you decide to build it for yourselves? So this is like way back in the day, like I'm, you know, uh, 2014. I'd already been in crypto for about a year, and uh, I'd met a couple of guys through Bitcoin Talk, which is the forum that everybody used to 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 browse browse in order to find like the upcoming kind of like token launches. And uh, and some of us were kept finding ourselves in the same forum, and uh, we we just. Uh, uh, I became friends with them and started talking with them, and, and we realized that, you know, back then in 2014, all the all the all the price tracking apps were just that they were just Bitcoin price tracking apps. It was insane. You open up this app and you could just see the price of Bitcoin. It was actually comical thinking about looking back on it, given where everything's at now, right? And um, there might have been maybe three apps that just started kind of branching out that might have had anywhere from six to 12 coins where you could track the prices. 
And we were just tired of like the painful ritual every morning of logging into like a bunch of different exchange accounts. By 2000, by middle of 2014, we'd each invested in probably like 10 or 15 different projects. And there might've been 150 tokens back then and maybe 25, a couple dozen exchanges, you know? And we we just honestly set out to build a product so that we just didn't have to suffer every morning, <laughs> you know, logging onto exchanges and looking at balances. And uh, and um, uh, that's how it started. And, you know, even back then, I remember talking to my co-founders, we just really believed in the blockchain, te in blockchain technology and that, that there would be this future with tens of thousands of tokens and hundreds of exchanges. And uh, and today, Blockfolio supports over 10,000 uh, different uh, crypto assets. That's another crazy number. And it's crazy to think, like, that there's been this explosion of crypto asset growth when, as you said, like back then it used to just be like, you know, uh, uh, like a Bitcoin app. That was it. It's like you just needed to know, did Bitcoin go up today or down? Now, obviously, you've got all of these crazy interconnected decentralized finance products. People want to check their yields. They want to do their staking rewards. I mean, wh where do you... When you see Blockfolio's role in this whole ecosystem, obviously Blockfolio has evolved well past just being like a price checking app. There's so much functionality to it. Like, did you see Blockfolio also growing at the time to encompass as much as it does now in terms of engaging the user base in so many different ways? So, no. I mean, like, we, we wanted just to make a really elegant portfolio tracking app where you could just put in your, your, uh, you could mirror your positions that you had on exchanges on the app and just really quickly just open it up and, and see how it was performing. Uh, even back then though, we did, we did see a, a day in the future where, you know, you could through API, <clears throat> through API keys, you could connect your exchange accounts and maybe have auto syncing, even though it took us a while to get that in the app. Um, and a lot of it was just the, the features that we build that we, that we would build was sort of, a lot of it was just getting feedback from our users and telegram channels and talking to them and just kind of balancing that with our own kind of instincts and desires. And then, uh, and then some of it was sprouted from like problems we saw in the space, like in 2017, when there was all these like ICO ads and, uh, and, uh, or sorry, all these ICOs like coming onto the scene and it was really difficult to know which ones were legit and which ones weren't. And then we started seeing like these like bogus telegram channels that were confusing people or like the Slack channel scams. Um, and we were like, wow, like that, that one sort of like, we, we saw another opportunity to build something that was like, you know, that was going to be really useful for the space, which was a direct communication channel from the token teams to the, to their token holders. And we had this great distribution platform to be able to build it from. And that's, that's what's, that's what led to Blockfolio Signal. Yeah. Signal's a great product. I mean, uh, it, it's something that I've used myself and it is an amazing way to reach again directly your token holders and in a in a space where now decentralized governance is becoming more important it is it is pretty critical to have these kinds of channels where if somebody holds your coins you can reach them directly and at the same time you know it's opt in right like if they don't choose to you know follow the coin it's not like we're following them around trying trying to grab their attention i i find something really nice about the blockfolio platform uh that it has been so so opt-in and user-centric it's probably a big piece of your success yeah i think that was like philosophically from the beginning because we were sort of building this thing for ourselves we we didn't set out to build it to to try to start a business and so 
I think even back then, if you if you think about it from that perspective, that's why we were we were so much. And I would say we were very user first and ecosystem first. We were excited about the ecosystem and our philosophy towards users were like, if somebody was going to give us a product, like how would we want to be treated? And we try to build the same for our users, right? I think that's a great ethos. So if if you were already coming in with that kind of ethos and you were already trying to build things for yourself, what would you say is one of the biggest secrets that you guys learned while you were building out Blockfolio? Oh, man. Uh, Give everyone what they want immediately for free. Like, there's that, that like those were sort of like the if you look at the product itself like especially if you've been around since the early days of blockfolio like we've always been it's always been the same you download it the first time you download it but you don't have to pay anything to download it you don't need to give us your email address any personal identifiable information nothing you can just use it right away and and you open up the app and within a split second of opening up the app you would just see how your portfolio is doing after you started using it right and and that's what people wanted. They wanted to see how's my stuff doing, <laughs> you know. They didn't want to go through a bunch of you know different pages or look at like some animated logo that popped up. Like they just wanted it right away. And uh, and it, that was kind of I think like sort of like uh, the product kind of like philosophy was just like give, it, give people what they want immediately and for free. And the the, the, the you know the better we did that, the more users we got. So. At what point did you look at the user growth and still having this strategy and still having this ethos around giving people what they want, like reducing the time to value for the end user? At what point did you look at the growth and think to yourself, oh, we've really got something here more than more than just a product for a few friends. We've got something here that like has explosive potential. When do you think yeah, that was? It was it was probably mid-2017, like maybe April, I want to say. So, and I, and I remember specifically the metric I was looking at. It wasn't, it wasn't totally the users, the user numbers that made me realize uh, we had something special. It was actually our server costs. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so like in January, 2017, our server from, from like, from when we launched a product in 2017 until January, Jan, sorry, when we launched a product in, in, in 2015 until January, 2017, our monthly Amazon Web Services bill was never more than $200, right? And then it just started scaling up in 2017. And then all of a sudden, we, we got to this point where we're like, holy cow, if this trajectory keeps going, like, we're going to be broke really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's when we were like, that, that was sort of the forcing function of like, hey, we need to raise some money just for our server costs. And so in March of 2017, we raised our first $300,000. And it just kept scaling up. And to give you an idea how fast it scaled up, by January 2018, our server costs were about $100,000 a month. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, I'm used <laughs> to exponential growth in crypto, but that's that's orders of magnitude. And again, that's that's not revenues. That's costs. So so what else was going through your mind at that point? Like obviously like you've clearly got something that users value super highly, but you're also, you know, your your expenses are growing rapidly. I I'm sure as a founder like you, you, what's going through your mind is like we've got an amazing thing. How do we not screw this up? Like where did your mind start to go at that point thinking about how to make this not only like successful but sustainable? Right. So 
part of it was good fortune, right? So we raised that $300,000 in March and, and kind of were able to keep the lights on. And, you know, when you get that, like we were getting massive amounts of downloads. To give you an idea, like I think the peak day that we had, it was January 10th or January 11th, right around there of 2018. We had 75,000 downloads in one day, right? An insane number. Like, and and when you start getting that kind of growth and people and like people, you know, that are looking at App Annie, whether it's like venture funds or whoever else, they start realizing that, you know, this app is just getting downloaded like crazy and everybody's buzzing about it. Like in, I think I want to say it was like August of 2017, July or August of 2017, venture firms started reaching out to us and knocking on our door. And we had, uh, it wasn't just like one or two, we were getting a lot of phone calls, right? And, uh, and so then we decided to raise like, you know, a, a formal seed round of funding. We, in November, we closed uh, 3.15 million and it was led by uh, Pathfinder, which is uh, Founders, Fund's, Founders Fund's early stage investment vehicle. So That's exciting. I, I I mean like obviously from from there to here is a whole other story as well. Like now now with the opportunity to collaborate with FTX going forward, I I definitely want to talk a little bit about that uh, in just a second. But before we get there, I I want to go quickly pick on like where we are today. Not not just for Blockfolio, but for the whole space. Right now you are in a world where there are tens of thousands of crypto assets. Right. So somebody's opening up their block folio. They're not just checking Bitcoin's price. They're looking at, you know, potentially like hundreds of assets that they personally possess and they just want to know how it's doing. They want to see the latest project news, so on and so forth. And like DeFi in particular, decentralized finance has definitely contributed to this explosion. But, you know, that's that's nascent. Even by crypto standards, I feel like so many of these like new platforms for DeFi specifically are super nascent. So you're somebody who's been in the space since, you know, 2013, let's say, you know, working really hard on, on a variety of projects, but specifically Blockfolio. Now you see this new crop of projects from probably the last 12 months. It's finally starting to see the same explosive growth, the same explosive traction that Blockfolio was experiencing, you know, starting starting in 2017, but when you were really seeing like server costs and user base explode. What's your take now on this DeFi growth? Do you think that like Blockfolio, we have found some sort of product market fit? Or are we in a really big speculative cycle that hasn't really worked itself out yet? I think it just kind of, it depends on the lens you're looking through, right? And, you know, who we built Blockfolio for, it was meant to be super retail, very easy to use, super intuitive, you know, and, and, you know, and th that's sort of kind of like, you know, when, when we think about crypto going mainstream, like that's what mainstream is. Like if you're going to get the next 100, 200, 300 million users, you're not really building. It, it's funny because you're sort of, you're, you're bridging an experience or like, like expectations right you're you're bridging like sort of like the real world and the crypto world and and the lens that I look at things through is like what is a librarian in Kansas going to be okay using that's crypto related right and if we like put defi in front of that librarian in Kansas it's going to make their head blow up <laughs> right like they're just not going to get it they're not going to try to get it and so 
there's a lot of, I think, interesting experimentation going on in DeFi, which is really exciting, right? And I think it's early, early days in terms of like some of these platforms are some some of these DeFi projects are definitely going to get validated, right? As 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 being something that's like foundational uh, for crypto. And then once that once they kind of identify those things, like what's going to happen is they're going to abstract away the complexity of it and figure out some like palatable way of like presenting it to, you know, end users, right? And I think and I think I think that's still a ways away, right? But you are going to see a, a like you know, a, a continuation of this Cambrian explosion of, you know, DeFi projects and like what they're doing and, and all these different permutations. Like, I don't know, like it's it's going to be really exciting, I think, to see what sprouts up out of that sort of niche right now. And then eventually it'll evolve and, 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 and be presented in more accessible ways. And I think that's, that, you know, we're not quite there yet, but I think it's, uh, I can see some stuff in the horizon, you know, that that'll be useful. Yeah, I, I think I see it your way. Uh, and I've heard DeFi described by a lot of people, at least in its current state, as being a little bit of a whale game, where it really favors people who either have tremendous access to capital, uh, especially, you know, Ethereum. Uh, it also favors people who are extremely familiar with smart contracts um, and, and can sort of audit for themselves which of these platforms are safe or not. Uh I would view decentralized finance, at least a sustainable financial ecosystem, as something that, as you're saying, like 200, 300 millions of users can use and all derive value from. My concern about where we're at with DeFi is that a very small number of users are realizing the majority of the value, like the total value locked in DeFi or whatever metric you're pointing to. That's not accruing to a long tail of users. That's that's actually very like centralized in terms of the returns. I mean, that's you know, that's that's like you know the 2017 ICO bubble that we went through. And it was like a small like eventually when people realized it was an edge, it was just a small group that was like of early investors that were seeing that were realizing a lot of the opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of venture funds started coming in and taking you know uh, early SAFT rounds and things like that. Right. And it's and it's sort of like I think the 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 but but when I when I when I look at it long term, let me tell you what I think, you know, yeah, I get I get it. Like what you're talking about with like yield farming and these this sort of like that's DeFi, but there's other DeFi that I think will become, you know, useful. Like, you know, what compounds doing with like, you know, or 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 MakerDAO or like people, you know, um uh putting up, you know, getting collateralized loans. Mm-hmm. That's DeFi also. <laughs> yeah, right? I think staking is DeFi. Yeah. And 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 if, and if you think about how it's going to be in the future, I've mentioned this, you know, before. It's like in the future you're going to have a a uh, you know, condominium title, your home title is going to be an NFT token with some unique attributes, right? And like you're going to want to, you know, pull some money out against it. And what what are you going to do? You're going to take that token, you're going to put it in a lending pool, you're going to pull out some some uh US dollar you know, some, some stable coin out, out from it. And the, you know, having the ability to pull out like 200 or $300,000 of cash is going to like be a five minute process. Uh, I mean, that's what we're really talking about, right? Is liquidity. 
how can we right. how can we take these very static assets and create a much more liquid and fluid economy and a digital economy at that so to that end let me ask you specifically about exchanges so something that's extremely interesting right now in DeFi is the growth of DEXs and specifically maybe things like Uniswap and AMMs. Like finally, we're starting to see something, especially if you just look at the headline numbers on volume. It's obviously a little more complex than that. But just looking at the headline numbers on volume over the past months, you're starting to see them become really competitive. What's what's driving that? Or are they as competitive as we think like wh where is the where's the relationship where's the balance between centralized and decentralized exchanges right now for users i think we're sort of at this inflection point <laughs> in decentralized exchanges because historically de decentralized exchanges were just i mean they were painful right you know the latency on them uh you know they were unusable i felt like um and they were clunky they were always like, anytime I used them, I was always frustrated. And, you know, foundationally things are getting better. Like there are faster blockchains with, you know, uh, you know, with, with massively high throughput, you know, Solana is a great example. Like they can do something like 50,000 transactions, like confirmations a second or something. Right. And, uh, um, and that's what was missing. And so like, you're starting to see, you know, the technologies get better and better so like now decentralized exchanges are no longer or we're, we're, we're like i said we're an inflection point we're going to start seeing sprouting of more and more decentralized exchanges that are no longer painful to use right the usability is getting better you know they're, be, they're becoming better products and so and so now they're gonna the the, the user experience is going to start getting closer to that of a centralized exchange right now what's great about that is that you know, you're going to have it done in a trustless way. And, uh, um, you know, and, and, and I think, uh, I, th I think what you might see after that, like if you kind of fast forward another six months or 12 months, um, you know, you're going to start seeing like bigger whales that, you know, are going to start moving. I, I think a lot of, a lot of their volume into these decentralized exchanges as they become better, better experiences. So I'm a big believer in the growth of DEXs because I see the advantages that they offer users outside of maybe the actual experience, the on-exchange experience, but as you say, that's inflecting, right? But everything else about a decentralized exchange, especially since it's like non-custodial, I, I see tremendous value in that. I also see, you know, some privacy risks, and maybe I'm biased when I say that because, you know, Secret Network, the entire project is based around the idea of like providing privacy still in the public blockchain space. I, I still don't see that DEXs have solved the issue of privacy. Centralized exchanges ha have not solved it either. I want to be clear. They just solve it by centralizing everything. But obviously there have been, you know, exchange hacks. There have been compromises of user data held by exchanges. So is, is that something that concerns you at all? Is, is this something that could potentially hold back the growth of DEXs, that there really aren't these same protections for users? When you say same protections for users, what do you mean, like that that they have on? I guess I guess some of it is down to like you know the fact that everything happens on chain. That every time you're interacting with a dex, like everybody can trace it back to 
you like you're constantly you you know using the same account people like I, that's what always have bothered me about most of public blockchains but DeFi specifically is like how easy it is and, and to track somebody and how vulnerable it makes the end user I, maybe i'll ask this in a different way do you think users even care uh not yet <laughs> honestly i think it's going to be well before before it becomes a real issue i think i mean the usability is finally getting better because of latency like i think these are sort of like the the more the more key things uh that are that are going to drive drive people over there now 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 if that if that transparency is going to lead to like never having an edge on a decentralized exchange that's a different story but i think it's way too early to tell if that if that's going to be the case you know it's very early for decentralizes for decentralized exchange more generally. I agree, and and I'm very curious to see what comes out of like the latest crop of decentralized exchanges, all all of which seem to have some quirks, all of which seem to have unique perks for liquidity providers. Uh, you know, remains to be seen if liquidity providers long term can make money providing liquidity to decentralized exchanges. You know, if they're not being heavily subsidized in some other means. Uh, but that's going to be critical, like you're saying, to for us to make this transition from the whales on the centralized exchanges now coming over to the decentralized exchanges and seeing parity in liquidity between the platforms. So let me ask you then, uh, let's let's talk about FTX. I mean, that's the future, right? That that, or at least that's that's your future. That's and and Blockfolio's future now with this relationship. So what what was the most exciting thing to you? about the opportunity to now move forward and work with the FTX team and scale out that platform because that that's definitely an interesting approach to, you know, the the booming exchange space. So what what's what's most exciting to me is just like honestly it's getting to work with Sam. Like he's an insanely bright guy. Uh one of the brightest I've met in the space. Um there are a few reasons. I mean like you know and and uh people don't realize how young sam is he's 28 years old right he makes me feel like a failure <laughs> <laughs> i i think i think the metrics would not bear that out but go on <laughs> yeah and so you know 150 million dollars is a sizable deal like and this this you know he's i'll give you a little bit of backstory so sam went you know, he's MIT uh, physics major, went and worked at Jane Street Capital for three years as an algorithmic trader. Oh, my God. None of this surprises me. Then started a market-making firm called Alameda Research mm -hmm. and focused on crypto, started with his own money, or I think he might have gotten a small loan. And uh, and now Alameda is like one of the biggest market-making firms in the planet for crypto. It's uh, I think they're the biggest liquidity provider on Binance, possibly for, for BitMEX as well. And and then about a year ago, he, he launched FTX. In a in a bear market a little over a year ago in a bear market <laughs> and it's like one of the top exchanges now, you know this guy is three years into crypto and six years out of college, right? Right. And you know when I was at six years out of college, like I was just trying to figure out you know where I was going to go have some drinks. Sure. Um, and and a, a lot of times when you meet like really really smart people, you get paralysis through analysis, you know, and they're they're just they're 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 Sam is like the opposite, man. He just moves so fast. He has he is not stagnant ever. And he's making such precise decisions and has so much clarity on like where the ecosystem's going. And and that and and I think uh, and I think, you know, what excites me the most is like anybody who started a company in such a fast, 
and so in, in a space that evolves so quickly, it's very scary oftentimes because you're just like it's it's hard to keep your eye eye on the puck and where it's going because everything's just shifting so quickly, you know. And it's really nice to 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 find a great leader like you know for that that that's acquiring your company that just has so consistently you know in such a short period of time just shown he he really sees where things are going and it relieves me of the burden of that and now i can go back to you know i don't have to fundraise anymore i don't have to like be as worried about vision more like i'm supporting his vision and now i can go back to what i love which is really about building a great product and a great user experience and building brands and uh you know you know creating evangelism for 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 our efforts and th those are the things i love like uh you know and, and it's nice to be able to just like focus on that. See, I mean, I can tell just from your answer how how genuine that respect is and the relationship between you guys. And people don't really understand so much of what gets done in this space is done because of the people who are pushing the visions behind them. People who oftentimes have been, you know, told at numerous turns that they're crazy for thinking what they think or doing what they do. Um, and then you find the right crazy people to build next to. And suddenly it doesn't seem so crazy. Uh, it just sounds like an awesome opportunity to me. Um, for those who are listening who don't know, I, I also went to MIT and then I also was an options market maker. So I hear this and I, I feel more even directly like I, maybe I should have started an FTX or something. But like clearly Sam is on another level. Like I'm I'm so envious of what, you know, they've been able to build in a short time. And I'm really curious to see now like how Blockfolio slots into all of that. Uh, so where do you think Blockfolio fits in or, or more specifically, maybe where does, where does Ed fit in? Where do you fit in uh, now that you're bringing these product visions to life? What, what's something that you would be really excited to work on specifically beyond just like overall, oh, user experience? Like what is an experience now at FTX that you want to create for users? So that that's actually actually how we kind of ended up, you know, uh, I would say on this path to acquisition with FTX was we were at Blockfolio we were looking to launch uh, like a sister trading app uh, for Blockfolio and we were looking for you know a liquidity provider and a, a custody provider, uh, you know somebody who would offer sort of like a, a white label service, and we were talking to, you know. 70% of the major exchanges out there uh, about this, you know, I guess with the number of users that we had, everybody definitely was like interested in picking up the phone. And, and when we, and anyway, so that's, that's what we're working on. We're, we're, I'd say in the, in the near term, planning on launching a, a mobile like retail trading app. Uh, that is, that is, that is, you know, an experience, you know, and, and, and it kind of, just the, the, a blockfolio type of experience, super intuitive, uh, you know, very, very kind of like sleek, very simple in terms of uh, functionality, but yet gets the things done that you need done. And so uh, uh, we're really excited about about pushing that forward. So, but anyway, uh, a, a, as we were exploring that, that's how we came across FTX, and 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 in our discussions with them, they dug under the hood with us and we dug under the hood with them and realized that, wow, like this is, we're so complimentary here for so many different reasons. And that eventually led to discussions around the acquisition, eventually the acquisition. Wow. I, it's so great to hear that there was already so much synergy just from like the first moment. It's, it's really rare to see like such a perfect fit then. 
Uh, I got a different question. I, I want to take a different tack just for a second because we've talked so much about liquidity, trading, and everything else. Those are clearly the killer applications today in crypto blockchain that are getting people in the door, that are getting retail users in the door. If you look at the use cases for blockchains and decentralized technologies outside of, let's say, DeFi and trading specifically, what else is really exciting to you as a use case for these technologies that you think could have an impact on the lives of millions of end users ultimately, even if today we haven't necessarily found that killer application or product, what would you be excited to see get scaled out? Like I'm really interested in watching, like, I don't know, like blockchains unlock data ownership. Uh, mm. I think it's kind of, I think this is really interesting too, because, uh, you know, before you just like move around a bunch of ones and zeros and you copy it and it's the exact same ones and zeros, but with a public ledger, you can assign ownership of those ones and zeros, right? Like this is a very simple way to look at it. And, and what's, what's exciting about that is that like now you have, if you look at like human behavior and the amount of data that they're generating on a daily basis, it's like growing exponentially any, any individual person, right? Uh, because they're just getting more and more connected every day. Right. And, uh, and then, and then, and then I think there was some estimate. Somebody said one time that like, block. Or sorry, uh, um, uh, Facebook is a, uh, you know, will 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 monetize your data, right? And 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 they do it in sort of like indirect ways of like, I think they they help get you better targeted ads, things like that, right? But it translates to something like each person is generating something like fifteen thousand dollars a year worth of value, right? And and if your data is growing, like the amount of data you generate is growing, it keeps, you know, at, at, at an aggressive rate over time. Then that means that, you know, once data ownership becomes a thing and, and, and platforms become more respectful, respectful of it, and rather than, you know, sell it to, to, to bring monetizations for themselves, for themselves, I think like eventually you're going to move past that. And, and it's, and, I'm not sure exactly how it unfold, but at some point, I think in the future, like people are going to be able to sell their own data if they want, right? And I think that that you know, if your data is like fifteen thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars a year, and in the future it's probably going to be worth more, like that's a UBI. <laughs> that's yeah. a good information, right? And people can just opt into just like generating data for like the 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 way they use products or their their behavior, and 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 I think it's going to be interesting to see how all that unfolds. Yeah, I guess the way I think about it is we want to level the playing field. Obviously, you could argue that Google could never make the multitude of free services it's offering available for free were they not also receiving the ability to then monetize the user data. And you can see that argument and still say, well, in this relationship, Google still holds all of the power. There's really no consent on behalf of the user. Users are opted in by default to pretty much everything. They're not opted out by default. And maybe blockchains, et cetera, will provide a more equitable playing field. Yeah. And it's not going to be a binary thing either. It's not going to be like, oh, you get go from, you know, getting no value of your data to like, uh, you, you know, to all of a sudden like you monetize 100%. Yeah, it's going to be like, there'll be some platforms that'll be like, we'll give you rewards back if you use our platform. And how are we doing it? We're going to give you, you know, some of the data that you're generating. We're going to kick it back to you. 
Yeah, you know? I, and I love that model. But now I have to poke at the privacy issue, which we sort of rejected earlier, but now it's back. You know, I don't actually think that blockchains can solve this problem on their own because ultimately what happens is blo blockchains are what I would consider the opposite of a data privacy solution. They're transparent and auditable. And like you're saying, they provide consensus on ownership. You can prove that you have some sort of ownership of an asset or your data. But at the same time, they don't natively have any protections for that data. So I, I, obviously this is something we think about a lot that I think about a lot, but do you, do you think that like, given we're only in the early stages of understanding like what blockchains can and can't be used for at scale, like how far are we away from seeing like given the blockchains of today, barring some of these major protocol level advances like we're working on right now, like how far are we away from seeing a real competitor to something like Facebook or Google. Let, let's specifically stay focused. How far are we from like a really strong competitor to Facebook, a decentralized social platform that's really competitive? Like we're still a ways away. <laughs> that's the truth. Like we're, we're like, we're like in, uh, you know, God, in such early days, like it's it, all these like foundational kind of like pieces are still embryonic right and like the way to think about it is like you know it's like you know you have the internet that came around you know in the, the late 90s and and then eventually you had like you know gps technology and then you had a had a uh um what else was there you know i don't know like eventually like you combine these different things and and and, and you get some fantastic products like you got uber right with mobile gps and the internet right and blockchains are sort of like this shift like that's this new foundational thing that's like i don't know it's 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 going to change everything but it it's it's in 1999 could you have even like imagined that uber was going to exist no <laughs> right and 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 so like i feel like we're in the same spot right now it's like how is it going to change everything? Like, I, it, it, there's, there, we, there's so many things we need to wait and see before we get real visibility into like, you know, what the, what the, what, what, what the end version of all this is going to look like. It's still, I think it's, it's, our imaginations can't even like, you know, conceive of it yet. Well, the way that things are working out, my guess is that by the time we're ready for a decentralized Facebook competitor, that it's going to be something that FTX is doing. So. <laughs> Pretty exciting to think about. Ed, I mean, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you for taking me through like the history of Blockfolio, kind of what we're excited about next with DeFi and FTX. I, I've got to ask you one more thing, though, which I think I'm going to turn into a regular question here. What is a secret about yourself that people don't really know? Nothing to do with your job, nothing to do with your, your new role, nothing to do with Sam you like what's a secret about yourself that people don't really know uh my wife and i have 10 animals like we oh have gosh. three three dogs and seven cats and they're all rescues oh my gosh uh yep that we're 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 uh we're super softies like we just have bleeding hearts so can i get some names example names Oh yeah, I, I found one guy. I was at the time I was living in a condo in Beverly Hills, and I found him in, in Inglewood, and I named 
Billy Ray Valentine, which is Eddie Murphy's character in Trading Places. When he went from <laughs> to, the, to the Wall Street trader. Yeah, he's doing orange juice futures, yeah. We've got we've got Furious George. We've got uh, a little black cat that we named him Noche Libre. Oh. Uh, yeah, so like we've got like a, a Palusa, you know, Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, Zoomies, I don't know corny names to everybody but ourselves <laughs> that's i mean that's incredible i have i have two cats they're both named after whiskeys i think that's going to be our our aesthetic going forward but uh we've also considered mezcals we'll see <laughs> yeah nice i don't think we'll ever get up to 10 but more power to you guys and i, I mean obviously that's got to be uh, an exciting household oh dude after this acquisition the the, the cap just went up a lot <laughs> like my wife <laughs> She's already she's already got designs on probably another 15 animals. Oh, my Lord. Well, I look forward to what's next for FTX and the Ed Moncada Personal Zoo. Uh, it, it should be a very uh, fun experience for all of us to, to live through the what, what's next for both the exchange and for you uh, and what that's going to mean. Again, like you said, you, I, I love to see what this is going to mean for end users. They, they've always had a great experience with Blockfolio. You guys built so heads down uh, and just shipped something that that people loved and you and you never made them you know pay pay out the rear end for the privilege so kudos to you congratulations really excited to see what's next and thank you so much again for jumping on if if there's any social channels or anything you want to drop here so people know how to keep track of you or ftx or blockfolio going forward now's the time uh yeah you know i mean uh, blockfolio.com to get our app uh, ftx.com if you want to do some trading um you know, we're 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 still going to be shipping out. We're 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 going to continue to make Blockfolio bigger and better. And uh, hope you everyone keeps using us. I will. And uh, again, thank you so much, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, hope that we can chat again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for the time, Tor. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, and make sure to check out all the Secret Network communities that you can see here, including the Secret Chat, the Secret Forum, and of course our Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time we share secrets.